Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. Ooh, we're doubling down. I like that. <laughs> I never know what to say at the beginning, so I figured I would I, just welcome them as well. I don't either. I just open my mouth and the hot air flows out. Anyway, good you're, to see you. You're horrendous. It's good to see you. How was hunting this week? It's been a So as we're recording this, it's been uh, four straight days of, of vacation, of hunting for Charlie. And so literally this morning, I woke up. And in the black of night, went and sat in 25 degree weather and then saw deer running everywhere. And so I haven't, uh, haven't had the luck of harvesting one yet, but the, the point of the vacation isn't only to kill a deer. It's also to be on vacation and that's been fun. So So you mentioned that you've been listening to audiobooks. Yes, I did. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. So do you do that while you're hunting? No, 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 no. Um, actually, in fact, I would say today was the best hunt of them all because I didn't even take my phone with me. Ooh, beautiful. Left it in the car. That was unintentional. <laughs> and I realized it like a quarter mile in there, but so you're not going back. <laughs> but, um, I think I might make that a new habit where. Do you normally whip the phone out and do a few things while you're uh, there? I don't do, um, so most of the places I'm hunting on our farm. So listener, if you don't know this about me, uh, my dad was a farmer. And so, uh, back in more Eastern, I always call it Southeast Iowa cause it's South of 80. So that's South and it's East of Des Moines. So it's East. Uh, and I've, I've been corrected from time to time. Well, that's not Southeast Iowa. Yeah, it, it is. So um, <laughs> it's literally in the Southeast quadrant of the state. And so uh, in Southeast Iowa, we still have the family farm. There's two portions of it, uh, a couple hundred acres. And, um, and so most of the places you don't have service, uh, especially down in the little creek bottoms gotcha. and things like that. Nice. But so it has been very refreshing. I have listened to a lot of audiobooks. I've been driving around a lot of places. And so, uh, oh, I'm so glad you got me on this track. And I went to, I'm going to phrase this very carefully, to what I would consider the best coffee shop in Iowa. Not my favorite local coffee shop, the best coffee shop in Iowa, which is Brick House Coffee Co. in Williamsburg, Iowa. Even though on a recent social media post that was asked, what's your favorite local coffee shop? I said Porchlight because I live in Ankeny and some people at Brick House. They took offense. They, I don't know if offense is the right word, but maybe a wall, but, um, a wall instead of offense. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> horrendous. <laughs> That's a high quality pun. That's trash. I that didn't even is, get it. That is an architecture pun. But whether I get a pun or not is not a good gauge on whether or not it's a good one. <laughs> well, our listeners will uh, let us know. You know, actually, did we ever mention a listener that wrote in that mentioned that we had missed a pun? I don't think so. Because we're also going to mention that listener later because it's the same person. No. Oh. Anyway, I'll bring that 
we just got so sidetracked. Look at us. Part of what we want to encourage is Christian fellowships and fellowship and community. And this this is what we do off the air. So they got a little taste of it on the air. A little taste of it. You'd think we didn't have any business to tend to, (laughs) but we do. Oh, wait, we have a thing before that. I think we do, don't we? We do have a thing before that. (laughs) We have a document pulled up in front of us that has everything ordered out for us. And I wasn't looking at it. So why don't I explain what's in this episode? After, If you want, go for it. After the first, you know, four and a half minutes of banter here, we're going to have our (laughs) Andy's Weekly Wisdom. And then actually before that, I have one more thing. And then we're going to go to Books and Business where we do interact with some listener feedback. And we talk about the things we've been reading, listening to, and working on recently. And then the main topic of the episode, we're going to study in Isaiah 49. And so that is going to serve also as our meditation in the word. Mm -hmm. But before we go to that thing we always do, you've got some travel plans coming up too, right? Yeah. Next week, I fly out Monday night and go to Texas. The Evangelical Theological Society's annual meeting is in San Antonio. So Dr. Doug Brown, Paul Hartog, Dan Brown, myself will be there. And then I'll be coming back on Thursday. Awesome. Are you presenting anything? Are you just going for the fun? I am just an attendee this year. Nice. Any axes to grind? Nope. Oh, that's such a shame. I have not even looked at what's being presented. I know one friend who's presenting. I'm going to go to his session. Nimit Oliver as an old classmate from long, long ago. He's going to be presenting on... A classmate uh, from Practical Bible? No, from Ooh. Faith. Ooh, from Faith. Even yep. better. He came to the seminary, graduated, I think, in 02. And uh, he's going to be presenting on AI and the classroom. So big conversation right now. Students are cheating using AI. And uh, he works now at uh, AT&T. So technology is something that he breathes. And uh, he submitted this proposal and he's going to present. So I'm looking forward to that one. Other than that- Is this paper called The Battle of AI? (laughs) You are horrendous. Because it should be. Because when you said that he's presenting on AI, I was like, oh, it's an Old Testament buddy. (laughs) That's, I can't be, so listener, I know I'm not the only person that thought that when Tim said that. So if you're like me and you thought, oh, AI, the thing in the Old Testament, you should let me know. <laughs> but should you know, by the way? I should have clarified. That was really horrendous. I just started talking about AI, <laughs> like chat the, GPT and yes. AI and people having their papers written by computers and submitting them as their own. Yep. It's a major issue in academics right now. It is. And it's, you think about, we use artificial intelligence all the time. Mm-hmm. And it can be such a great tool, but man, like, I'm I'm glad that it didn't exist when I was a student. Because <laughs> you would have abused it. I'm I'm. It's just such a temptation. Yeah. Like, hey, ChatGPT, can you do this? Yeah. Um, I think what I would have used it for, which might act, might be a credible application, is just I hate the bibliography stuff. So if I could have thrown sources to. I don't know if she's a her, but I'm assuming it's a her. <laughs> hey, chat GPT, can you write this bibliography for me? Here they are. I need it in Turabian, and I, I'm sure I would have. But it's a it's the wild, wild west. Hey, Zotero's there for you. I love Zotero. But uh, man, I we have a couple other things we have to mention. We had a wonderful, lovely 
listener and fan of the podcast, a fellow Thinkling, give a donation to us so that we could give things away. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to do just that. And what we would love to give to you is any Thinkling article of clothing, which I don't think we have any OG t-shirts left. Uh, We have the second gen t-shirts, which were much nicer to Andy's liking. And we also have crew necks. So Mm -hmm. sweatshirts, if you're an older person and don't know what a crew neck is when we talk about that. Uh, I don't feel like I ever called them crew necks, but apparently that's the trendy word for them now is crew necks. If you would like one, here's all you need to do. You just need to send us an email at thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. If you send us a, uh, a thumbs up, that's no, what they, Tim's... They, their name and <laughs> yeah, address. <laughs> I'm like, when I said, if you send us, Tim boshed me a thumbs up. And I was like, I don't know what he's going <laughs> to... So if you will send us your name, a, a mailing address, and then uh, why don't you throw in... We sh- Man, we should, we should make them do some work for it. Well, you already... You, we talked about this. No Just work. Just do... Free. It's free. Just give them away. I know. That's what we're going to oh. do. So a donor. That's such a good donated. deal, Tim. Yeah. Man, it's like everyone listening to this should just email us their name and mailing address but right they now. they also need to tell us what size. Yes. Tell us what size. Tell us if you'd like a crew neck or a t-shirt. I will say, colder weather, those crew necks are pretty stinking comfy. Um, and so, yeah, if you send us an email, we would love to send that to you. Here's the catch. Once you receive it, you do need to take a picture and post it on social media, Instagram, or Facebook, and then tag us. And if you don't, if you don't tag us with that crew neck or t-shirt, we will send a collections officer, and we will take that t-shirt back. You are so horrendous. I'm just, I'm, I don't make the rules. I'm just going to enforce them. We have your mailing address. Think about it. So, uh, that, I, I'm so glad I remembered that. Yeah, me too. Uh, you can email us. And uh, we will send you a shirt or you can email us questions or whatever. And we would love to interact with that on the episodes as well. So we'll do that until we run out of money. So that's kind of the way that it works. I love it. Okay. Andy's weekly wisdom going back to Sertayange. And this section, he is talking about the time of work. This is chapter four and uh, the continuity of work. He, he kind of presents this idea that an intellectual should just be going all the time. And it's not like you're sitting at your desk and writing or thinking, reading all the time, but taking the other moments of life and not wasting them. And in this specific spot, he's talking about not wasting contact with another intellectual. And this is on page 75. And Tim's got a copy. He's going to read along with me. It's the last paragraph on 75. However, be very specially on the watch when you have the good fortune to talk with someone who knows and who thinks. Mm. How sad it is that superior men are of so little service to those about them. In practice, they are set down as simpletons. People see them, see in them what they have in common with others, not their own rare qualities. There is a treasure there, and the onlookers play with the key but do not open the lock. 
That's a really good word. That is. Right there. People smile sometimes at their awkwardness, at their little absent-minded oddities, and there is no harm in that. What is stupid is to assume an attitude of superiority which forgets the greatness of the man. And so uh, when you have someone who thinks and knows, don't just play with the key. Unlock the door and learn from them have good conversations with people with whom you can have good conversations right uh you know don't don't just idly waste those moments so we just had a meeting with several of the faculty and uh about publishing books and one of the things that we talked about specifically was fellowshipping with one another in writing and how you know us yeah. You and I, Charlie, bringing Andy in here as well. We throw ideas. We're reading various things. I can't, you know, so many times when I am fellowshipping with other individuals, thinklings, it helps you to think better and then write better. It's just so, so important and informative. So that's a great memory quote and, in light of Andy not being here. Exactly. And it goes, it goes well with a lot of the other ones too that we've mentioned before. Uh, you'll you'll do your best thinking not in isolation, but in community, and uh, that's true if you're thinking and writing, thinking and reading, thinking and uh, you know fill in the blank. And so uh, we do miss Andy as well. Uh, what's next? Oh, the thing we always do: books and business. Let's talk about some books. And Tim, why don't you go first? And you're going to interact with some books that have something to do with. An email. Yeah, we got a listener feedback um, from Dan Wirtz. What books have helped in your study of the fear of the Lord as it carried the idea of knowledge and understanding? I'd even enjoy more scriptural passages to track down and study and meditate on the subject, taking into account texts like Proverbs 1 through 7, Job 28, Ecclesiastes 12, Ephesians 1 16 and 17, etc. And he had some really good ones there. So let's talk about books first. There's a book that recently came out, What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord by Michael Reeves. This is a small book. I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast. I don't think we have. Partly because I was not very impressed by it. He talks about the two different ideas of fear and how there's a negative fear and a positive fear. Uh, but there are a lot of texts associated with the fear of the Lord that I find very formative that, that is kind of missing uh, in the volume. But if you're like, hey, what's something on the fear of the Lord that would just be kind of like a quick little something? Well, what does it mean to fear the Lord by Michael Reeves? Number two, The Idea of the Holy by Rudolf Otto. Ooh. Are you familiar with this book? I am familiar with that book. I thought so. Yes. So I believe it was 1962 or 63. C.S. Lewis, the goat himself, was asked what were his, I don't know exactly the phrase of the question, top 10 books, favorite books. I believe it was something like, what were the 10 books that were formative that for were you? the most formative or did the most to shape you and he mentioned rudolph otto the idea of the whole of the holy i believe it was it's on the list i want to say number four but that seems a little high it was on the list so yes uh the idea of the holy by rudolph otto i actually didn't really care for this book either <laughs> um kind of funny but i picked it up because of 
of、uh, two reasons. One was Lewis. Number two was the book that I am going to recommend. He referenced this book as well. So if you're like, what would be a book that has been very formative when it comes to emotion and on the fear of the Lord? And I would say Rudolf Otto and the idea of the holy. And Charlie looked it up. It's number six. So he has、uh, the the he talks about the numinous and the numen, and I'm like, what the world? Okay. But then he has a whole section on the mysterium tremendum. So tremendum, like fearfulness, where he talks about awfulness and overpoweringness and energy and urgency. So he interacts with that idea of fear, and it's been very formative in the lives of others. So I wanted to share that. Now moving on to what actually, I, I feel like I should just go and say, C.S. Lewis's number one book, Fantasties by George MacDonald, <laughs> which is a fairy romance fiction. You should all read it. Anyway, so the the one that I would the book article that was formative for me in my understanding of the fear of the Lord is、uh, an article. In the book is called "Alive to God: Studies in Spirituality," presented to James Houston. It's a it's a multi author book edited by J I Packer and Lauren Wilkinson. The article、uh, specifically is in the book is "The Fear of the Lord: The Foundation for a Relationship with God" by Bruce Waltke. Bruce Waltke is a very well known Old Testament professor. He's written the best commentaries on Proverbs, in my opinion. He has a shorter、uh, commentary on Proverbs that's now available as well,、uh, which if you're doing work in Proverbs, I would highly recommend. In this article, he he interacts with Otto. Uh, but he develops the idea of the fear of the Lord as something that is both intellectual and、um, like rational, and then also effective.、Uh, so this is a very helpful article、um, on the fear of the Lord, and I would highly recommend it. It's a little hard to get a hold of. I remember struggling to get this article and find this book, and then I finally bought it. So alive to God studies and spirituality. And just just a quick comment on that one, when we talk about the rational and effective, you, you kind of just parse that out a little bit. You know, love the Lord with all your heart, affections, right, mind, rationality, and that the fear of the Lord is encompassing both of those ideas. It's、right. not one or the other, and so.、Uh, That's where interacting with those ideas and parts of a human、uh, as they understand the、mm -hmm. rational component and then respond, you know, emotionally correctly, loving him. That's that's what we're interacting with with that fear of the Lord idea. And I have also read that article and found it very helpful. I think it's a little bit more scripturally driven than、uh, Otto. like Otto himself. Yeah, yeah. Otto's a liberal, <laughs> and he's basically、yeah. looking at it philosophically. Yeah, but I, I think that when you when you open a book and you start reading it, and it transports you to another time and place, that's special. Fiction can do that, you know, because that's what fiction is. But when a nonfiction book does that. I think it's a unique entity. When you start reading, you get through two or three pages of idea of the holy, and you're、yeah. like, "I'm in a different realm here." I got to give it a try again. I, I not to say that it's good. I struggled. It, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one. Yeah. So,、uh, as far as scripture passages are concerned, 
uh, connecting even to what Carter was just talking about, Deuteronomy 5, I would contend is a key text because the people are terrified. There's that tremendum. They're terrified of the Lord because he just lit the mountain on fire. And then at the end of the chapter, it says that God just desires that they would fear him. And so you see this idea of fear that is completely uh, passionate at the beginning where they're terrified and scared, and then fear as in effective, like, wow, God is amazing and he could kill me, but he's good and he won't. So the intellectual effective component at the end of the chapter. So I'd add Deuteronomy 5 to your texts. I like working through Proverbs 1-7, Proverbs 1, I think it's 28, and Proverbs 2-5, as far as what is the fear of the Lord. What does it mean? You mentioned Job 28 already and Ecclesiastes 12, great texts. Uh, I would also add Isaiah 50, and we had a podcast on Isaiah 50 a while back. Uh, I, I like going to Isaiah 50 to illustrate what it means to fear the Lord. Uh, so those are kind of some of my, my main passages. I'm currently working on a book, and the fear of the Lord is going to be an important component of that. You end up seeing the fear of the Lord everywhere in the scriptures. Genesis 12, Abram doesn't fear God. He does at the beginning, but then he doesn't fear God. He fears the Egyptians, and then he deceives and creates a mess. So a lot of these texts uh, end up just piling on top of each other and can help you out. Awesome. And so my books and business is a lot less books and businessy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm about to issue a heartfelt apology that I have spoken quite ill of audiobooks in the past, and I still think quite ill of audiobooks. However, I have quite enjoyed them this week. And uh, I, I have not read any books, but I have listened to a lot of books. And um, there's there's some a guy I follow on Twitter who's been just going through Narnia and quoting uh, or tweeting about a lot of quotes, and that got me onto the oh, maybe it's time to go back through that. And uh, haven't found the time to read them. Having a lot of car time, I was like, you know what? Let's uh, let's listen through them. And so I have, as we sit, about through the first five right at the end of, um, uh, well, is it five? Yeah, Horse and His Boy, so I have two left. And uh, first things first, I noticed as I was listening, we have a correction to make, a little bit of uh, housekeeping. In the past, we have talked about Puddleglum. And uh, Puddleglum is a very uh, unique marsh wiggle in the silver chair and uh we have quoted him uh as saying you've got to learn that life isn't all fricasseed frogs and eel pie and we have thought man that's such a great puddle glum quote and yeah that's such a great thing puddle glum would say and as i read through i didn't read through i listened through but i went back and checked uh Puddle Glum did not actually say that. So just trying, as we just had a podcast a couple weeks ago about quoting Lewis correctly. <laughs> we quoted him incorrectly. So this is where it's, it's tricky. Puddle Glum does say it, but it's not a Puddle Glum saying. It's Puddle Glum's other Marsh Wiggle friends telling him 
that he needs to learn that life's not all fricasseed pot, fricasseed frogs and eel pies. So the full quote, he's speaking to Jill. Don't lose your heart, Pole, said Puddleglum. I'm coming, sure and certain. So she had asked if he's coming with them to find Prince Rillian in the mountains of the giants. Oh, I'm coming, sure and certain. I'm not going to lose an opportunity like this. It will do me good. They all say, I mean, the other Wiggles all say, that I'm too flighty. I don't take life seriously enough. If they've said it once, they've said it a thousand times. Puddleglum, they've said, you're altogether too full of bobins and bounce and high spirits, which is hilarious. It's like he is like the... The crazy one. The crazy marshwickle, which makes you think about what are the other marshwickles <laughs> like. Uh, they always say I'm always uh, full of bobins and bounce and high spirits. You've got to learn that life isn't all fricasseed frogs and eel pie. You want something to sober you down a bit. We're only saying it for your own good, Puddleglum. That's what they say. So Puddleglum he is said, accused mm-hmm. of thinking that life is all fricasseed frogs and just going about his eel pies and he's looking at this adventure as something that will sober him. And, you know, the astute listener or reader thinks that's crazy because Puddle Glum is Puddle Glum. Right. Uh, but anyway, uh, so that's the housekeeping item I noticed is that technically it's another Marsh Wiggle that says that, even though Puddle Glum does agree with the sentiment, which is what launches him on this great quest with Jill and Eustace Scrub. And so, uh, as I've gone through listening to uh, the first five Narnia books, uh, they are just fun. They're just fun. And I think that they exalt virtue in a way that really helps you think about things. You know, I'm 32. I'm not a child, and uh, these are children's books. What am I going to get out of them? Uh, You know, the differences of opinion on there. Lewis himself, I think, actually said, someday you'll be old enough to listen to fairy stories again. And uh, as if you outgrow them, but then you grow back into them. And uh, there's just certain characters that you, you like the character, but then you realize what they embody. So like here's Puddleglum who is, you know, a very, you know, Puddleglum puddly person. Puddly, that's nice. Yeah. And he's always kind of looking at the, you know, you just have to kind of read through it and think about the character. But at the end of that, he he's the one that's accused of not taking life seriously. And he's in the lair of the of this witch and she's trying to convince them that the world up there with your big son and that lion is all fake. And he steps up to the plate and just says, well, you know, if that is fake, I wish it was real because it's way better than what you've got going on down here. <laughs> and obviously, you know, we could get into a discussion of the maybe symbolic ideas that Lewis is playing with there, but then he, he becomes a very courageous character and, and wins the day. Um, I think personally, my favorite character is Reepicheep, the little mouse who is just the most valiant character in the series other than Aslan himself, even though he's a foot, two foot tall. 
And he just is so concerned about valor and courage and virtue. And, you know, when he interacts with Eustace on the Dawn Treader and he's guarding the water because he knows Eustace is going to come and steal it. And Eustace is, you know, making all these excuses. No, I was just going for a walk and I wasn't doing that. And Reaper Cheap is having nothing of it, you know, and um, just I think you just have fun characters that uh, really remind you of the greater virtues of life. And uh, courage isn't only for little boys. It's for men. It's for women. It's for every one of us when we don't want to do difficult things. And so reminding ourselves that virtue exists is very helpful. And so if you've got a couple of hours, it's not hard to turn an Arnia book on like 1.6 and blitz through it in a couple of hours. And it's, you know, certainly better than uh, what you could be doing with that time. So that's really this week with hunting. That's all I've done is when I'm in the car, I'm just listening through Narnia books, which is, which is fun. So with that being said, let's have a conversation about Isaiah 49. Let me pull it up. So uh, when we think of courage and the character of Reepicheep, a lot of times when pressures come from outside, we're tempted to change, to uh, conform to the, to the pressures of this world. That's where the fear of the Lord has to reign supreme in our lives. And here in Isaiah 49, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7, uh, primarily. Uh, 48 Chapter 48, verses 17 to 22 does provide a nice backdrop to the text, but uh, we're going to focus on 49, 1 through 7. This is the second servant song. So in Isaiah, there are a series of servant songs. I've been wanting to work through them on the podcast, and I'm going to do number two today. Why not number one? Mm -hmm. Why do you think I'm not doing number one, Charlie? Guess two is better than one. Says no. it in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> well done. You know, we just got a game. There's this game called The Bible is Fun, hmm. and it's about ripping words out of context, and then uh, it's like apples to apples. Anyway. Yikes. Yikes. I'll have to talk about it on the podcast sometime. You just did it. Two is better than one. Yeah, that's what it means, right? That's it. Exactly. The Lord will give us strength for all things. <laughs> Horrendous. <laughs> okay, 49, 1 through 7. I'm going to read through the text. I'm using the ESV. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my strength has become, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. 
I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall rise, shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. And the text actually does go on through verse 13. There's like a hymn of praise in verse 13. So the full text would probably be, be 48.17 through 49.13. Uh, but we're going to just focus in on verses 1 through 7. So you heard the word servant several times there. So the question is, who is this servant? That is the question. Notice in verse 1, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The pronoun there, me, who is doing the speaking in Isaiah 49.1. The servant. The servant is. So the servant speaks. We get the servant's perspective on things. Listen to me, O coastlands. So those would be those far out places far, far away. And give attention, you peoples from afar. So the distant peoples. And then what does he say? The Lord, and that's the Lord's personal name. This would be, um, yeah, well, I'll just leave it there. The Lord, his personal name, called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. What is that talking about? He gives him Go ahead. I don't know. You don't know. He gives him a name. <laughs> sure. Okay, so he is given a name by the Lord from the time in which he is still in the womb of his mother. Hmm. So think about that for a little bit. Now, then moving into verse 2, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. It's an interesting simile. How is a mouth like a sharp sword? And then the next one is, in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. That one's a little easier. What does it mean that it's in the shadow of his hand that he hid me? Or the sharp sword. You can be wrong. It's okay. I'm spurring this on to you. You haven't studied this. Have you, are you familiar with this passage? Not really. Yeah. Um, so all I'm thinking through is you have... Obviously, the parallelism to 2 C and D there. Yeah. So you have the sword and you have an arrow. Right. And then the sword is sharp. The arrow is polished. Right. And then you have the shadow of the hand. It's hiding it. Uh -huh. The quiver is hiding it. Right. And so I'm I'm not really up on my swordsmanship. But <laughs> what I have do swords been, usually do? But I have been bow hunting all week. <laughs> so... Uh, you put the arrow in the quiver, it's like you're, it's ready to be used. It's be awaiting the purpose it's been made for. Ah, nice. Yeah. Okay. It's ready to be pulled out and then to be shot and then to... Uh, destroy something. <laughs> Dispatch. <laughs> and likewise with the sword. Yes. So I'm, I've been back and forth on this. I've originally thought, and I still think so, that this metaphor refers to destruction and that... This individual is God's instrument of destruction, a sharp sword. 
similar to, like in the book of Revelation, uh, a two-edged sword proceeds from the mouth of the Messiah. And what does that mean? He speaks. And what happens? Destruction. Destruction. Okay, so that's the idea. And that's probably the same idea here. And so he makes... Uh, he made, the the Lord would be the subject of these verbs. The Lord made my mouth like a sharp sword, and then in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. So God puts him into, a, or enables him to, to fight and to effect his justice and at the same time protects him. But the quiver is odd. He's hid away in the quiver. And you brought out a really interesting insight. It's like he's sitting in the quiver, ready to be pulled out and then released mm -hmm. at God's uh, calling. Yeah. It's like he's ready to go when God says. Yeah. So that's an interesting thing to think through when it comes to other eschatological texts that speak to Jesus's um, yeah. and, second coming. And I would just say too, so I'm looking at ESV polished, uh, I have ESV here. Is it, yeah. So when you think of polished, you polish an arrow. Mm -hmm. You're you're not making it shiny. Like oh, look how shiny my arrow is. You're making that. It. That is a parallel with sharpening it. Right. And so when when you have just sharpened it, why do you want it in the quiver? Because if it's out of the quiver, if it's just been flung around, it's gonna get dull. It's gonna get dull. Yeah. And so it, I do think it is. It, I like where you're going with it, where it is, it's powerful. It's ready to destroy. Uh -huh. And now it's waiting to do that. To do that. Um, anyway. Yeah. Man, yeah, good who would have thought bow insight. hunting all week would have just come right into Isaiah 49? Beautiful. Man. Now, verse three, things get a little bit odd. And he said to me, you are my servant. So who's doing the speaking in verse three? He said to me, the Lord said to the servant. Yes, the Lord said to the servant, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And this is where we get all discombobulated a little bit. Well, who is the servant? What does verse 3 state? Israel. It's Israel. But in verses 1 and 2, it doesn't sound so much like a nation. It sounds like a person. Yeah. And later on in verse 5, it states, and now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. There's a distinction between the servant, me, yep. and then Jacob and Israel, because the servant individual brings Jacob and Israel back to the Lord. He redeems them. He is God's instrument of redemption. And redemption is a major theme in the text. In 48.17, the Lord says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And then later on in, chap in verse 20, at the end of verse 20 in chapter 48, it says, The Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. The focus of this passage is, guess what? Israel is sinful. And they need to be redeemed. So how can that happen? God has an answer. And that answer is the servant. Now, why Israel, though, in verse 3? 
Well, we see this conflation of Israel with the servant frequently in this section, chapters 40 through, I don't even know where it ends, okay? Because um, the servant is the servant ruler. By the way, we see that terminology in verse 7. And then you have the servant nation, that would be Israel. Both are God's servant, the king, servant ruler, and then the servant people. The servant ruler redeems, is God's instrument of redeeming the servant people. And thus they are just combined in verse 3 as Israel. And through Israel, the Lord will be glorified. Okay, how are we doing? Yeah, I, I think I'm good there. Okay, now verse 4. This is the really good one. Well, I don't know. <laughs> so, back to verse 4. But I said, and who's the I here? The servant. The servant is doing the speaking. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Who says that? The servant. The servant. What does the servant do? He labors. And this is the same word that's in Isaiah 40. It occurs in verses like 26 to 31. People are familiar with Isaiah 40, 31. Um, you will run and not be weary. You will walk and not faint. You will mount up with wings like eagles. Okay, that whole passage. This weariness word is the same word that we have here. I have labored. So the idea is like you're exhausted. And for what? What does the text say? In vain. Hevel. Hevel. It's Hevel. This is the, the uh, Ecclesiastes word. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. So I want you to think about that for a moment. So who is this servant? Who is the servant? I've alluded to it a couple of times. I'm going to go with Jesus. Hey, good guess. Okay. When does Jesus get his name Jesus? When he's in, well, okay. Are you referring to what it said earlier? I am. Or in, or in verse five? Verse he, one. Oh, I was sorry. I was looking at well, the- Well, verse five too. Whom mentions, is mentioned it, in verse five. It's yes, mentioned it in was both. Earlier. Verse, verse one, he's, he's named from the womb. And that's what we see in the biblical account of the birth of Jesus. The angel appears to Mary, you will name him Yeshua, salvation. Jesus' name means salvation, and he receives that name while he is a child in the womb of his mother. And then he lives his life, and he labors, and he labors in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. And that's the servant's evaluation of his ministry, because what was the servant's mission? What was he supposed to do? Save. Save. Uh -huh. Deliver the nation. De redeem. Okay, so in this text, the focus is redemption. He's supposed to redeem Jacob. He's supposed to redeem Israel. And when Jesus comes and ministers on this earth, does he succeed in that mission? What is his evaluation of it in verse 4? No. <clears throat> okay, do we understand or that? should I say not yet? Yeah, not yet. It's fine. <laughs> but honestly... My like, dispensational bells are jingling... Yeah, but I th we need to think through this passage like from a ministry philosophy perspective too. Because at the end of Jesus' ministry, he dies. And what happened to all of his followers? They scatter. 
So what is his ministry? What was it? It was vanity. It was nothingness. But then you have the last statement. Yep. And I know you saw it because you have your Bible up. The listener might have their Bible open, but probably not. The last statement of verse 4 is, Yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense, my reward, is with my God. And as Jesus evaluates his ministry at the end of his life, it looks like he failed. His mission was a failure. But God's but his evaluation does not come from what he sees. His evaluation comes from what God sees. And I don't like the ESV's translation here. Yeah, surely my right is with the Lord. It's a judgment. It's mishpat. It's justice. God is the one that's going to determine whether or not my ministry was truly a success or a failure. Hmm. My reward will be with my God. And that's something I think that we... You know, it connects to that whole idea of fearing the Lord. You know, a lot of, I, I get a little weary of, well, man, the Lord is really blessing this and blessing that. And I see this word blessing all over the place in Christian paraphernalia and blah, 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 blah. Boy, you know what? Jesus, God really blessed his ministry, didn't he? I mean, he died on a cross and everybody abandoned him. You know, what is the evaluation of our ministry? What are we really looking for? Are we looking for results or are we simply walking in the fear of the Lord and trusting our reward to be with our God? Yeah, and what uh, this paints the servant in a very human way. Yes. Just like us as humans, mm -hmm. you know, he, he's not, um, I gotta be careful, this Christological heresy just around every corner. <laughs> You just want to jump into Hebrews. Well, it's it's not as if he's operating from the standpoint of the Lord. That like as God, he can look at himself and be like, yeah, you're good. Great job. Pat on the back. You know, that here's the servant who is Christ, mm -hmm. who as human is humbling himself into right. the hands of the Lord, yep. trusting the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that, in a verse four, that's really, really nice. Yeah. And then I'm going to skip now to verse six. We've already talked about verse five, but then what does God come in and say in verse six? So the Lord says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. See, so this idea of redemption is right here. But what is God's evaluation of it? It's too little of a thing. It's hmm. too light of a thing. And then what does the Lord say in the middle of verse 6? I will make you as a light for the nations, that my Yeshua, Jesus' salvation, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And as someone who's not Jewish... I am thankful. Amen. <laughs> so as we reflect upon the truth of Isaiah 49, there's philosophy of ministry implications. There's a, I pray that this text even just, that, that it, it worked in your heart to help you to see anew Jesus and the, the difficulty that he went through, being rejected by everybody. Nobody liked him. 
and yet he didn't care. He walked in the fear of God, not in the fear of man. And it was the fear of God that drove him to do what God wanted, which then the Lord himself exalts him. In verse 7 it states, Thus the Lord says, or, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised. See that? That's that's Jesus, that's the servant, abhorred by the nation. Do we understand the word abhorred? Hated. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes him. The servant of rulers. God exalts him. And he is the servant of rulers. The text continues, kings will see and arise, princes, and they will prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. The servant, Jesus as God's servant, Israel as God's servant, to accomplish the mission, the objective that God lays before them. And then to think through that from a personal perspective, that God has given you a mission, what is that? That you are his servant, and that you need to not fear these people, not fear the results, not fear the prestige of man, but that you would simply fear the Lord, be the servant whom God has uh, be the servant in the way that God has appointed or placed you. And to please him, let your reward be with the Lord and not with man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast. The Thinklings want to remind our listeners that the Thinklings Podcast is our personal production. Our conversations, book discussions, and viewpoints may not represent the views of Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. Any questions or feedback should be directed to us at the Thinklings Podcast.